0: Hey, I'm producer Paul Caroli, and this weekend on CityCast Denver, we've got something special for you. If you heard this past Friday's show, you heard one of our absolute favorite guests in the whole world, Joanne Allen. She's a public radio veteran, a Denver Post columnist, and the host of her own podcast, Been There, Done That. And we know lots of you all love Joanne too, so we figured we'd share an episode of her pod with you. It's a really fantastic interview with Rick Waters, the executive director of the Denver Indian Center. Hope you enjoy. Invisibility is the biggest challenge we face, the misunderstanding or people not understanding who we are as a people. I often point to a quote by John F. Kennedy in '63. He said that American Indians are the most misunderstood and least understood Americans of all of us.
1: This has been There, Done That, the show that tells the real-life stories of the baby boom generation. I'm Joanne Allen. I had the privilege of speaking with Rick Waters, a man who has been serving his community for more than 40 years. He's the executive director of the Denver Indian Center. A cultural leader with a warm and gentle way of explaining things, we began our conversation by my asking Rick, what is he proud of? As an American Indian.
0: I'm proud of being a Native American Indian because we are the original inhabitants of this land. Uh you know, that goes to everything from culture to even geographic uh recognition and, and all of the above. And I think even nowadays it's even more relevant because of the growing, I guess, activity of organizations, communities doing land acknowledgments. Many times doing those and not really knowing what they're doing just short of even patronizing american indians before this was denver before this was colorado this was indian country landmarks and and everything already had names so you know when you read history and you see it was the new west or discovering land for me and my heritage there was no discovery we were already here and so When you look at understanding who American Indians are and Native Americans, you have to have a grasp of or an understanding of history.
1: You just said Native Americans, um, Indian. I mean, what is the right terminology or is there a correct terminology to use?
0: Very good question. And usually that, when I speak to groups, that's probably at the top of the list of what people, whether it's a pre-K group or I spoke to a group last year and the youngest person was 75 and the oldest was 100. <laughs> um, and basically that was one of the first questions that, that usually comes up. Personally, there is no correct answer, but my experience and it's based upon who I am. Is I relate to if somebody was asked that that I am Kiowa or Cherokee, uh, then the next step is what I experienced growing up, where I lived from my grandparents, from family was Indian, and then but it's evolved American Indian, Native American. Now you hear the term Indigenous, but there is no correct if it's done it with respect. Just like. Uh, I I believe, with other groups. Uh, I I grew up when African-Americans, blacks were called Negroes, or even prior to that, from living in the state of Oklahoma, uh, they were referred to, it was just common language of colored people. Yeah. And so the evolution of how people are identified, and to a degree right now, depending on who you speak with in the Native community, Uh, It's based upon, I think, everything from where they grew up, their generation, and again, obviously, their experience and what they relate to. But if it's done with respect, and I tell people, well, I respect that you ask, uh, as opposed to maybe going through what you've heard from maybe segments or other community members. Because I've run into people saying, well, I've heard it's offensive to say Indian to you. I said, well, you know, it's not offensive to me. It might be offensive to some people. But I'm still trying to grasp and understand why. Because number one, that's the political legal term in whether it's the Constitution or anything else between American Indian Native tribes and the U.S. government. And that's the other thing uh, that probably is more of a, a, a point of information to some people is that, in general, American Indians, Native Americans are are not a racial group, but a political legal group when it's tied to a lot of the topics that, that we discuss.
1: I want to take you back to your childhood in Oklahoma. You were born in what, 1953? Yes. What was life like when you were a child and then growing up into your teen years and living in Oklahoma?
0: Well, Oklahoma's somewhat unique. You know, it's often called uh, Indian country and even the name Oklahoma, land of the red man, you know, it's the translation from a uh, Choctaw word. But I often think about that. You know, one of my earliest memories, in fact, I've, I've tried to start documenting. As we get older, we start forgetting things. But I, I've been thinking about documenting a lot of things that I remember as a child growing up and experiences that I have and at the time, maybe not understanding what was happening, but now maybe have a better grasp of maybe why things happened the way they did. But um, obviously, like anybody else, I you know, I I've had mom and dad and grandparents and cousins and people like that around me uh, and thought that was fairly normal. I had somewhat of a stable family, but uh, I also knew, and I'll I'll just say this, that from the earliest memories, I knew that I was uh, unique, if not different or special, in that I was American Indian. My mom was full-blood Kiowa, my dad was full-blood Cherokee, and if you're familiar with with Indian tribes, they're very two different culturally in some respects was being what people are more, I guess, familiar with, the Plains Indian idea of what Indians are, and the Cherokees obviously being a more Eastern tribe with its customs and, and belief systems and evolution as, as a tribe. But I, I guess that knowledge of knowing I was Indian, and I think back, you know, what points to that, and I remember in kindergarten. So I had to be five years old. And I remember one day there was a special speaker. He came into the room and we were all sitting on the floor, a group of us, probably about 20. And of course, I was the only American Indian in the class. And it was a Boy Scout leader. And he was there recruiting for Cub Scouts or something. And he started talking about some of the programming. And he referred to, I think, a program they had for understanding or, or knowing indian things i'll just say it simply like that and he pointed me out and you know said how about you you know you're you're an indian boy and you know that kind of so that highlighted that i was different than everybody else whether it was both negative or positive but that was an awareness brought forth by me and along that same time period Either within a year of before or after, I remember going to a department store with my mom, uh, who was light-complected. And I remember running around in the department store and the clerk kind of reprimanding me for something and saying, you know, you shouldn't be in here kind of a thing. And my mom, obviously, Mother Bear, is going to come to my defense and said, he's with me. In my little mind, didn't really know why. It wasn't because I was being unruly or anything. I was just standing there looking around.
1: You were just being Indian, probably. <laughs> uh, yeah,
0: you know, just yeah. And so, those are kind of early on, and then of course all the rest of my, up until even now, you know, there are different experiences that I encounter that point to me as being uh, native and, and different. Uh, everything from appearance to even philosophy or uh, understanding of the world around us.
1: I can remember growing up as a black child in the South, and in thinking back when I was home and when I was little before I started going to school, I remember pure joy. I don't remember any anxiety or any of that. And it wasn't until I had to go out into the world that I realized that I was considered inferior. Right it's a new way that you're being defined.
0: I think I was fortunate or had the advantage of having uh, at least a dad, a very strong dad who went to a boarding school in Oklahoma. You hear, you know, about boarding school experiences, Uh, but he went to a boarding school and I can remember as early as I can remember him always instilling in me pride of being who I was that I was good as anybody else. And some of that I, I didn't really know where he was speaking to. But the fact that I was Cherokee or I was Kiowa, and whether it was in class, in sports, and doing anything that I was as good as, if not better than anybody else, but more or less that I was as good as, and then depending on my own, you know, whatever I wanted to do, that I had that within me to do that despite I think what he was trying to point out uh, how others might look at me with respect to opportunity and things like that.
1: Did you experience segregation because you said that you were in a uh, essentially a white school you weren't separated out in terms of you only went to uh, Indian schools or congregated with Indian people you were in the community at large.
0: I was in the community at large, right. I grew up in Oklahoma City and Norman, and actually, through my up to my high school years, moved around to different parts of the state because my dad was a Methodist minister. Uh, he actually became a Methodist minister when I was in the fifth grade. Prior to that, living in Norman. But to your point, when people think of American Indian communities or Native people, many of us, you know, maybe it's something we'll discuss later, the invisibility of Indian people. Uh, Unless you're in an area on the reservation or in a community, in a setting where you have neighborhoods of Native people or tribal people, you're going to be not necessarily segregated, but you're going to be in the minority and so growing up in Oklahoma City, which has you know one of the higher populations of American Indians, I still went to a school where probably less the what's the national average, you know it was one percent probably in that school. Now, depending on the city or location, there were places where there were a higher percentage, similar today to places that have a higher enrollment of Hispanic or black or Asian students. But because of, of numbers, you, you didn't see that as much. So I uh, wasn't necessarily segregated, but I did throughout school and even into college go to s- schools where I was in very much minority uh, in terms of representation. And primarily, you know, they were all white students, uh, obviously, in Oklahoma.
1: Yeah, and and the black community has always been very visible, so you can easily tell that these are black people. Tell me about this invisibility that you're speaking of.
0: Invisibility is the biggest challenge we face. And by the definition of invisibility being the misunderstanding or people not understanding who we are as a people. And I often point to a, a, a quote by John F. Kennedy in 63 when he was giving a speech. He said that American Indians are the most misunderstood and least understood uh, Americans of all of us. Really, I think what he was saying, if people do not educate themselves to understanding, a, a more in-depth understanding of who Indian people are, the treatment of American Indians will be a negative uh, legacy of how uh, the relationship between society and and American Indian communities uh, going forward. So the invisibility is really lack of understanding. And when you look at it on the big picture, if you ask anybody on the the street, and I'm I'm simplifying this to a degree uh, and just kind of from a general point of view, Mm -hmm. many people, their knowledge and this is where the misunderstanding is, their knowledge of American Indian people has come from movies, TVs, and stereotypes. And uh, even the one or two pages that you might get in in your high school history book or, or middle school history book about American Indians. And the reality is, if you look at history, American or U.S. history, Is a parallel to Indian history because it's around land, acquisition of land and power in general. So when you follow that, you have to include and look at how and what interactions uh, took place between, since 1492, the, the movement and the settling of the United States. Or some people will say the trespassing of those that call themselves settlers and pioneers in the United States.
1: When you talk with groups or when you give speeches, um, I think you were telling me that you usually touch upon four important points of American Indian history, such as the treaties and the reservation system and the, the boarding schools and all of the stuff that most of us really kind of heard of but don't really know about. Often when when I have a request to give a presentation or
0: something, it's related to the work I do here at the Denver Indian Center. But again, I tie that into taking it as an opportunity to at least share some information that people may or may not be aware of about the American Indian community. And so, for example, I'll say, well, let's look at why there is a Denver Indian Center. And to do that, you you look at a historical timeline, and we'll start early to mid 1800s when you had the establishment of the reservation systems, which simply was a a way of dealing with the U.S. government dealing with the Indian problem. And that was the term that was used even to today. And it was basically what are we going to do with these people that are living on land that we want? So the idea of the reservations. By treaty, that's the way they were established, which, in essence, took away the the way of life for most tribes that were placed on these reservations. Now, I'm simplifying this. It's a little more complicated, but just to give you a concept of that timeline of history. So you had the reservation systems. Then you had the boarding schools around the 1900s, which basically was... Uh, again the government dealing with the Indian problem of well I'll give the example if you've got prairie dogs in your yard you've got two solutions you either kill them or move them okay and so that in a way was what the government was looking at with native people and communities and so that's why the reservation system so the other concept was the boarding schools it was okay We're not going to kill them. We can't move them because that didn't work with the reservation. So we're going to take the Indian out of them. We're going to save the man, kill the Indian. And you've heard that, or many of you have heard that. Mm -hmm. So the boarding school system was in place. And, you know, that was the idea of assimilation. You'll make the Indians then become one of us, take on the American dream and so forth. Okay. (laughs) So that didn't necessarily work, even though there are the concept of education and, and, and boarding schools is still in, in place, but it's evolved now. Uh, but at that time, the boarding schools were, for the most part, not necessarily positive with respect to the ongoing or preservation of Indian culture. Okay, So you had, number one, reservations, number two, boarding schools. But going into the the 1940s, 50s, Congress is still dealing, government still dealing with the issue of Indian problem. And so, again, the idea around assimilation and acculturation was thought of, I guess, as a more humane concept. And because of treaties and the relationship between tribes as sovereign governments in and of themselves, you know, how do you do that? You know, you can, you know, termination of Indian tribes and that sovereignty was always on the table as well. But in the 50s, early 50s, late 40s, you had what was called the Federal Indian Relocation Act. And it was kind of one of the later resolutions put forward to help deal with the Indian problem. And at that time, it was giving those living on the reservations the opportunity and actually the motivation and encouragement to move to the cities where there was more opportunities for jobs because at that time and even now, the, the economics were very depressed on poverty, very high on, on the reservations. So you had that movement of natives into the urban areas. And Denver was one of the original relocation cities, uh, Denver, Chicago, uh, Los Angeles,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, some of the others, uh, falling into place, uh, Minneapolis, Oklahoma city, Dallas, uh, Phoenix. But ultimately that didn't work, but you had so many moving into the cities. Not all of them moved back. You know, they faced the culture shock, the racism and what people often don't understand, you know, it looked good on paper. Yeah. Let's, let's move to the city, you know, we'll get a job or we'll get better education for our children or more opportunities. Um, but the culture shock was coming from the res or the rural environment. You get to the city and you know there were no buses, uh, transportation, and housing wasn't necessarily an issue on the reservation. And if you want housing, if you want to get place to place, if you want food in the city, you can't barter, you can't trade, you're going to have to pay for it. So how do you get money? you got to work. And so the skill set often did not match up with the job opportunities that were here in the cities and so right off the bat you had many many people move back but those that stayed endured and persevered they faced a lot of the challenges just to meet subsistence level now you also had many that did succeed and did survive and and thrived and remained in in the urban areas so a lot of the Aspects of how you deal with a problem often are better solved if the ones having the problem have some input in how to deal with those issues.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And so when you're here and you've got natives coming together and collectively looking at how they can deal with everything from childcare to transportation to jobs and things like that, that was the evolution or the beginning of the evolution of places like. The Denver Indian Center, the Phoenix Indian Center, uh, Minneapolis Indian Center, and other places, where it was a place of safety in one respect, and it met one of those biggest needs of American Indians around social social life. You know, coming from the reservation where family is very important, and I I, I was going to mention that when the very first question you asked was, "What makes you most proud?" and it's. Being a part of a family, that's part of culture of Native people.
1: In a lot of areas, especially in cities, you're hearing all of these, as you mentioned, land acknowledgments. The University of Denver, at their last commencement exercises, they acknowledged that they were on, I think it was Arapahoe and Cheyenne land. And then you you see it when you go to the Denver Art Museum, that the land was the sacred land of an of an Indian tribe, and I can't remember exactly which ones, but uh, but so these land acknowledgments is that a good thing? Is that a weird thing? I mean, how do you feel about them?
0: <laughs> That's a you, you ask such good questions, Joanne. Um, well, thank within, you. <laughs> this is my <laughs> this is my my response, I guess. Um, depending on who you speak with in the Native community. They're either a good thing or a bad thing, or or in between. My Personally, and even given my role in, in terms of bringing about awareness or informing people, uh, I look at it as, as a good thing. It may not be as positive because some of the, the, the argument or the debate, even among the Native community, about the significance or importance or relevance of a land acknowledgement is that they don't want it to be just patronizing or just words. If people are going to acknowledge that before this was Denver, this was Cheyenne Arapaho land or Ute, Kiowa land, then they should acknowledge, number one, or if at least understand how it became Denver. And, and with, with respect, you know, depending on how deep a dive you go into it, it was around treaties and agreements made between the governments and the violation of those treaties and so forth. But with respect to land acknowledgement, for some people, that's news to them. And to me, any little bit of positive information to help break down that invisibility of Native people, then I think it's a good thing. We can't change the past. We can only go forward. And even if it's little baby steps. And so, from the standpoint of a land acknowledgement, at least getting people that are not familiar with the history or not familiar with American Indian culture or places, it might give them a little uh, incentive to to maybe try to learn a little bit more accurate or credible history, not only by time, but even what's happening now with contemporary indian life or native life it would help the more you know a better understanding of why there's the mascot issue why there's missing murder indigenous relatives issue why there's an issue around renaming landmarks so i i guess my answer is i don't see land acknowledgments as a good thing necessarily or a bad thing i think they are something that's that can be looked at as positive. Now, the one thing I do agree on, even to the detractors, is that if a, an organization, group, or entity is going to do a land acknowledgement, they should have something in the statement that points to a commitment to action or something tangible that they are going to do to, if not make amends or reconcile, but that they are really taking it seriously. Otherwise, it just becomes words. And the best example, I I know many people say grace or, or give a blessing before a meal. And sometimes that just is rote memory for many people as opposed to having any sense of meaning. It just become words.
1: I thought the acknowledgement was cool whenever I've heard it, but you're saying take it a step farther and that's important. Yeah. Well, I hope so. <laughs> yeah,
0: because I, I, I do, I support land acknowledgements, and I try to, at least from my point of view and perspective and involvement with the community as a whole, try to at least offer thoughts uh, for a group that's wanting to do a land acknowledgement. And so, you know, make those key points. If you're going to do one, you know, at least try to make a commitment of what you will be doing to better serve that understanding of the American Indian community.
1: What ways can non-Indians learn the more accurate and credible history of Native Americans?
0: Um, Well, I'm married to a librarian, so I would say read. And because of technology, you can Google things. And so when you hear about an issue on the news, the nightly news, or, or you see it on a Facebook post or something about natives, maybe do a little bit more follow-up and, and get perspective and points of view on what the topic or issue is. But, but really have an understanding about natives and you know where we come from and why we think the way we do, in a sense, and, and that's for all of us. I think the idea of groups becoming normalized, uh, I guess, to experiences or the way of thinking that are counter to maybe even their historical, traditional, cultural values, I think that happens. And so having a better understanding of, of who you are as a person uh, whether it's talking to somebody, asking questions, talking to a Native person, going to a Native activity or event, and doing it with an open mind so because you're going to hear differing points of view. There are Natives that don't really disagree with a mascot issue. Uh, we're human beings. You know, we're going to agree to disagree on some things, and so we're going to have different points of view. I do feel that it all goes back to your, our own experiences and what shapes the way we think. I tell this to everybody. We're all learning. The world around us is changing so much that uh, we have to be at least open-minded and understanding to ways of thinking to the young people and those that grew up in this uh, digital age because they have a different a little bit different way of looking at the world as opposed to the way you know we did. I don't mean to be funny or anything, but you know the question about what do we call it, you know what what's the best term to identify you as, uh, collectively as a as a group. I tell people I say, well, you know when I grew up, kids played cowboys and Indians, and now I understand it's bovine administrators and indigenous creatures. So with that idea, the way things are changing, I think being open minded and respectful of others. And the way they look at life because of who they are and where they come from is is very important to all of us. And it might even help with what's happening here in the United States as we speak. We can all do better. And I say we, all of us, we have to learn from the past, not let it repeat. Will Rogers, some in our generation know who Will Rogers was. He was actually Cherokee, but he had all these humorous quotes but they very were very deep in some respects and one that I use often is he said even if we're on the right track we'll get run over if we just sit there i think that can apply to all of us you know we have all of our, our ideas and concepts and thoughts and for the most part i believe in man that we have good thoughts for outcomes for society it's just acting on those and sometimes putting aside political and geographic and, and even, to some degree, religious aspects.
1: Rick Waters heads the Denver Indian Center. See photos of Rick with his family at beentheredonethatpodcast.com. The website is designed by Chris Gregory Creative. The music, entitled Shaman's Call, is by R. Carlos Nakai. Do leave a comment at BeenThereDoneThatPodcast.com and tell all of your friends to listen on my website or download episodes wherever they get their podcasts. I'm Joanne Allen.
0: City. Uh, they've just opened a museum that was produced and built and put together by the tribes in Oklahoma called the First Americans Museum. And I was encouraging my friends in Oklahoma, they should pass a legislation that it be a requirement for every student, no matter what level, to go through that museum because it gives a very candid and open presentation of the history of Indian country, as well as historical aspects to contemporary life as experienced by American Indians.